0: Well, great. Here we go again. The headline from CNN Health that was released on Wednesday, June the 28th, 2023 reads, HRT use by younger women linked to dementia. Okay, great. Now it's time for all the women on hormone replacement therapy to have fear struck in their heart just like with the fear that was raised with birth control pill use and the depression issue back in June of 2023. And we released that episode, remember, on June the 13th. Well, the same kind of applies to this study. But now we're talking about hormone therapy and menopause and dementia risk. I mean, that's pretty scary, right? Nobody wants a future that's in store for them that includes Alzheimer's or all-cause dementia. Plus, the CNN Health article is really scary, especially if you just read the first line of that news release. That first sentence says, quote, Women in their 50s who took estrogen and progestin hormone replacement therapy for menopause had an increased risk of dementia within 20 years. End quote. see, there's a lot to cover here, and there's a lot of big issues in this BMJ new article that just got published on June the 28th, 2023. In this episode, we're going to cut through all the data and make it very, very simple. And once again, as we've done in multiple episodes, we're going to make it very plain why association absolutely does not prove causation, especially in light of an observational study. Plus, there's a Big, big elephant in the room that's not addressed by this new publication from BMJ. And we're going to tell you what that elephant is in this episode. Ready? So, does hormonal therapy actually increase dementia, even in women in their 50s, down the road about 20 years? Well, we're going to tell you the data and the answer in this episode. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Let me be very clear, I have no beef against CNN Health at all. They're doing their job, they're reporting on the data, but sometimes it's a little bit more alarmist than helpful, especially when somebody doesn't read the entire editorial that they put out, again, from June the 28th, 2023. And especially if you don't understand statistics, okay? Because even this publication from BMJ, if you take a look at the statistics themselves, which reported in hazard ratios... And we're going to discuss that very briefly in here. Even the results, even the hazard ratios are like, meh, I mean, I would have read that and I'm like, well, what does that mean? I mean, that's not really impressive at all. And I'll give you that hazard ratio results here in just a minute. But, so I just want to be very clear. I've, I've, I think they do a great job, those medical journalists. Uh, for a little tiny stint, I had a role contributing to some to medical general, journalism sites. They're great, but we always tried to present the entire picture. And I think uh, the CNN Health, you know, editorial, this little news uh, report. I'm trying to, you know, trying to save myself from throwing it under the bus. (laughs) I I think it did a good job. It really did give uh, other uh, opinions in there. It reached out for some... Uh, some quotes uh, from other experts in the field. And that's good. That's what it's supposed to do. But my concern with this is that most patients or the public at large, you know, reads one or two paragraphs at first and is like, oh my gosh, I took uh, hormone replacement therapy when I was 55 and now I'm doomed for dementia. Not the case at all. All right. So let me be very clear. I'm a big fan for HRT and the appropriate patients. And this is very similar As I mentioned in the intro, very similar to the whole birth control depression uh, debacle, all right? And you can go back to June the 13th when we did that. I was so, so irritated by that uh, when we did that that editorial and that podcast episode. Um, But now this new publication that came out in BMJ, uh, the title of which is Menopausal Hormone Therapy and Dementia, a nationwide nested case control study, is really causing a lot of stir because of, of how they presented these results, all right? And as I mentioned in the intro, there's one really big elephant in the room that you're like, uh, hello, did you take a look at this? Did you consider this fact this real issue? Did you account for that? And the answer is no. Now, of course, we're going to summarize that article, but before I do, I want to just briefly touch on the NAMS position statement on this whole topic, okay? So in 2023, this year, NAMS released the non-hormone therapy position statement, and we've actually covered that in a previous episode. But last year, that same organization, which is the North American Menopause Society, released their 2022 hormone position statement out of the journal Menopause. Now, of course, you know, post that link, in our reference sheet. But in that position statement for hormone therapy, obviously there's a section for Alzheimer's and all cause dementia, right? And that's the part I wanna touch on here. Because NAMS does favor hormone therapy early on in life not later on, past the age of 55, mainly for vasomotor symptoms, right? That's, that's a no-brainer. We get that. But NAMS does state that hormone therapy should not be used for the sole indication of trying to improve memory or cognition, right? That, that's, that has nothing to do with a valid indication to start hormone therapy. But having said that, let's briefly, I just want to briefly review the main points that NAMS states and NAMS covers regarding hormone therapy and both Alzheimer's and all-cause dementia. Under the subtopic for Alzheimer's disease, NAMS reminds us, quote, Four observational studies provide support for the opinion that the timing of hormone therapy initiation is a significant determinant of Alzheimer's disease risk, with early initiation lowering risk and later initiation associated with increased risk. And in terms of all-cause dementia, NAMS also states Quote, in the WHI memory study, the combination of CEE, which is conjugated equine estrogen, plus MPA, or medroxyprogesterone acetate, double the risk of all-cause dementia when it was initiated in women, listen to this podcast, family, in women over the age of 65. Now, you do what you want to do, but I don't start any patient as a new start when they're over 65. I mean, that's whack. Please don't do that. Now, NAMS continues to say, quote, whereas conjugated equine estrogen alone did not significantly increase the risk of dementia. All right, so let's talk there for a minute. So the short of it is, look, it seems to be for Alzheimer's, if you start it early, most observational studies say there's really a protective issue there. Don't start it later. And for all-cause dementia, there may be an issue with CEE, which is conjugated equine estrogen and MPA. Whereas the conjugated equine estrogen alone did not significantly increase the risk, all right? So two big take-homes there. Age seems to be a big deal. And second, this had to do mainly with CEE and medroxyprogesterone acetate. So there's a lot of other choices for our hormone therapy. And that's one of my big concerns here. Just like in this new BMJ study that we're going to talk about that was released last month. man, it's grouping all kinds of hormone therapy together, just like the birth control study and depression. Oh, all birth control pills cause depression. No, totally whack. That's wrong because you've got all these different kinds of birth control pills. You've got different dosages, different types of progestin. Same deal here. You see why this matters and why it gets confusing. But all to say is, according to NAMS, they're like, hey, don't use a menopausal hormone therapy just to try to protect cognition. Use it for regular vasomotor symptoms when it's indicated and start it early on and preferably not over the age of 55 and for the shortest duration possible. Well, that was last year, and NAMS is not the focus of this episode, all right? The focus of this episode is a study from BMJ that was released June the 28th. So what is that? Oh, I don't know, just over a week ago? Uh, Again, remember, that's that's our commitment here, guys. We're trying to get things right, you know, when they're hot off the press, trying to bring that to you and trying to go through all the data. Let me tell you, sometimes it's hard to do that. I mean, something good comes out, and I'm like, oh, we got to get to that. But then somebody will ask a question, and then it kicks that question down the road. Anyway, but this is still pretty fresh. It was just June the 28th, and we're recording this on July the 5th. Now, this study was not US-based, okay? So this was out of Denmark because they've got a huge, huge national EMR database, all right, called the National Registry. So they can do things like this. And this was a nested case control study, all right? So this was an observational study, not an RCT. Really, only RCTs can prove causation or really suggest causation. You can't do that really with an observational study. All right, so it's nested case control. That means that they picked a certain point to start, and then looked forward and said, "Hey, let's start with who got uh, hormone therapy and who didn't, and then let's see what the diagnoses are for uh, all cause dementia uh, in that uh, time frame." All right, and they spanned a long time. It was from two thousand to twenty eighteen. Okay, remember this is all Danish women. And they were looking for a brand new diagnosis in women with no previous history of this, all right, for all-cause dementia. This study examined the medical records for nearly 56,000 Danish women, again, over an 18-year span. Over 5,500 of those women were later diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Remember, this is all-cause dementia. Researchers compared people with dementia who had used hormone therapy, even briefly, we're talking about less than a year, with those from the larger group who had not. Now, let me just beat you to the punch and just tell you what they found because we've got a lot of little caveats that we're going to have to explain here. But it's easiest if we just tell you the results and then work backwards from that. All right. So remember, this was an observational study, not an RCT. So based on this observations, even short term duration of hormone therapy and hormone therapy in this cohort was only oral estrogen and progestin. All right, They found that it had a hazards ratio of 1.24 with a 95% confidence interval of 1.17 to 1.35. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Now, what does all that mean? Okay, so let's take first the hazard ratio, right? So there's several ways to report uh, likelihood of developing something between an exposed uh, cohort and a non-exposed, right? So some use relative risk, some use odds ratio, some use hazards ratio, and they are not interchangeable, although they are very similar. All right. The short of it is odds ratio reports that just the odds of developing something relative risk uh, is more precise in terms of not just an odd of getting something, but here's the true relative risk of you developing a condition. Whereas the hazard ratio um, is a little bit different, it's a little bit broader because while odds ratio and relative risk take a look at at the end result of the study, what happened at the end of the re, of the reporting interval, hazards ratios all throughout the study interval. All right, Also say they're very they're they're super similar but yet different. All right, and they're not interchangeable. But the take home answer here is between an exposed cohort and the non-exposed cohort, the higher the number above one, the greater the chance of developing something in the exposed cohort. Yes, everybody gets that. And the lower from one, the more protective is uh, the exposure or the condition, right? So if you have a hazard ratio of two, then the exposed cohort is twice as likely to have an event occur. Or if it's three, it's three times more likely and so forth, right? So in general, any a uh, hazard ratio, just like odds ratio, that includes one, in other words, between 1.0 uh, and 1.99, it's considered suggestive, but not really uh, uh, impressive, all right? Because you're like, well, is it still one? So the hazard ratio was 1.24. Remember, the closer to one, the more null the effect. And the 95% confidence interval. It goes the same thing that the higher it is away from one, um, the more likely that what you have found is a true association. All right. So if you said there's a hazard ratio of five, you're like, whoa. And the confidence interval spans from uh, four to nine. You're like, man, that's that's really something that it's all moving in the same direction away from one. All right. But if the confidence interval is close to one and or includes one, then it, it's, you're like, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't really mean anything, all right? So here, remember, the 95% confidence interval was 1.17 to 1.35, with an overall hazard ratio of 1.24. Did I lose all of you with a bunch of numbers and statistics? Because I think I bored myself with that last one. All to say, even if you just look at those numbers, you're like... Uh, Well, I mean, 1.24. Yeah, I mean, it's significant. It's above one, but like not by a lot. And when you consider just like with depression, not picking on any one gender, just letting you know the facts, right? Just like depression, who's more likely to be depressed? Men or women? And it's women. Uh, Just statistically, probably because men just don't get help. Honestly, it's probably underreported. Let's call it what it is. Although there are some hormonal factors of why women are more likely to get it. But the same holds true for Alzheimer's. Who's more likely to get Alzheimer's? Uh, Elderly men or women? It's women. By far, Alzheimer's disease is twice as common in women than in men. So do you see what's going on here? You put all these things together, even with a a hazard ratio of 1.24, and you're like, man, not even that's impressive. And we haven't even started to go into the other caveats. But that's what they found, and that's what's making the headlines. That hormone therapy, and again, like all hormone therapy, no, just oral estrogen and progestin, and just the types that they used— It doesn't even go over or explain any of the other available types. Had a hazard ratio of 1.24. Not all that impressive. Especially when we consider that Alzheimer's happens already twice as common or happens twice as frequently in women than in men. All right, now I think I'm done with numbers for a little while because I don't want to lose anybody else because talking about numbers is super boring. But there there are two big things here that they did find that, that have to be stated. And the first is that the risk was there even when the use was at or less than a year of hormone therapy. Okay, so keep that in mind because that's not even biologically plausible to be linked to long term dementia risk, right so it's it's too small of an exposure to be considered clinically significant based on all the years of other data, all right so that's the first thing is that they found the risk was higher at even less than a year. And the second thing that they did find is that the longer that they did use hormone therapy, then the risk did increase. Uh, all the more, which is why you started early and for the shortest amount of time possible uh, is what Nam says and what all the experts uh, traditionally choose to do, okay? Now, remember, this was an observational study. But the better way to study this and study anything, of course, is by RCTs, where you can really control a lot of confounding variables or control them much better than an observational study. So I want to report on a couple of of RCTs here that looked at this specific issue because this is gonna give us a lot more guidance, a lot more clarity here, all right? So let's cover the WIMS general trial, that's W-H-I-M-S, the WIMS, which stands for Women's Health Initiative Memory Study, and then the WIMS y which was a, a offshoot from that, which was that same name, Women's Health Initiative Memory Study, but in younger women. That's the wims y study. So let's cover that when we come back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. WIMS, what a weird name. But WIMS was in 2003 out of JAMA. Remember, that's the Women's Health Initiative Memory Study. This was an RCT. Now, this reported on the same thing, oral estrogen and progestin treatment, and they did find that it was associated with a twofold increase in risk of dementia among women who started it. Guess what? Again, older than age 65. Again, who's giving these women Hormone therapy over age sixty-five. But it goes to show? Start it early. That's a, that's again no. That's no brainer. Nothing there is 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 eye opening. We get that. All right, and here's the catch: risk did not increase among women starting hormone therapy that were age fifty to fifty-five in the whims of younger women. So that's whims. Why that was published in twenty thirteen. Alright, so just like Nam said, started early and for the shortest amount of time possible. And it's not even just whims by itself or whims why. Two other randomized trials also tested the effects of estrogen and progestin treatment on cognitive function. And guess what? In both trials, cognitive function, quote, was not affected by hormone therapy compared with placebo, end quote. Now I'll post these references again in our list, but one of those studies was published in... Oops, I lost my place. Hold on. Oh, it was in Plus Medicine, PLOS Medicine, and the chief author was Gleason. You have no... Guys, when we do this podcast, just for you to know, sometimes I have one laptop with like 12 windows up or I've got two laptops up because we bounce back and forth between things. Even if there's a script on one of the screens, we're going always going back and forth between different studies uh, and different references. So I, I, I think I pressed something and everything went blank and I temporarily panicked so uh, but I'm back I've got my I've got two screens up and so one of it is my references and one is the script slash outline uh and by the way this was very nice somebody sent me a message they're like hey I got your uh references uh, on the google drive thank you for doing that I didn't realize how much references go going to each episode yeah man let me tell you I mean this it's a lot of work I <laughs> know uh, we love to do it not complaining but yeah. And that's one of the things that um, we've been talking about putting that reference list for years. And finally, you know, we got so many requests for putting that reference out to make it that public. Now we finally did. And it's not that we were being secret about it. it was just one more thing that I had to do. Um, but but I do like that you now all get to see the amount of work that goes into each episode because each one of those references, we don't just like stick it on there. I mean, it's been vetted. Uh, we, we make sure that it's, it's a good study. It's evidence based. It, it's weighted appropriately. And then it goes into the list. Uh what where was I? Oh oh yeah, the two randomized studies. So one was Gleason from uh, plus One, and then the other study was by Henderson, and, and that was published out of Neurology, all right? These are the two other RCTs that found, hey man, there, there's nothing there, I don't see it. So observational studies are great, they're good for a certain thing, but RCTs are much better because you can try to uh, control uh, a lot of variables. We've got now the WIMS-Y, we've got the Gleason study from PLUS-Med, uh, and then the study from Neurology that all have said, look, I, I just don't see any effect, any negative effect here between hormone therapy and cognition. Now, I don't want to make this episode too long, because the last ones that I've done have been over 30 minutes, and I really don't like to do that. Um, I think I get very vocal, and we're supposed to cut it off at 30 minutes, but sometimes they just let me go. I think the one we did, what one recently we did, was like 36 minutes, uh, and I had no idea. I'm, I'm thinking they're going to edit stuff out, and then when it finally came out, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 36 minutes long, no one's going to listen to that. So, it, but thank you for... Obviously listening to that. Uh, but sometimes I just get on this track and I can't get off of it. But but let me give you now the, as we start getting ready to wrap this up, I'm going to give you the big elephant in the room here, all right? So podcast family, walk down this road with me. This is women who took uh, estrogen and progestin oral formulations, right? And starting again as early as, you know, 50 to 55. Fine. What's the number one reason that women likely took hormone therapy now we don't have the indications here they just kind of said hey you got the prescription you didn't and let's follow you forward all right so we didn't get the true indication of why they did it but what is the most common reason why women use hormone therapy or, or systemic oral or systemic hormone therapy it's hot flashes right that's the elephant in the room now what does that have to do with it everything. Now, let's walk back to 2019, because uh, there was initially something that was presented at NAMS, at their society, meeting, that's North American Menopause Society in 2019, that later became a publication that said, guys, the whole thing has to do with the vasomotor symptoms. Because night sweats, vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes, that is a signal. That's an outward manifestation of altered cerebral brain function. All right. so in other words, it's not the treatment for it, it's the original cause, it's the original symptoms that they were having for which they sought treatment of. So let's cover that whole issue, this big elephant in the room, of how hot flashes could actually be the link here explaining the findings of this observational study and not the hormone therapy. Let's do that next. When NAMS held their annual meeting in Chicago from the 25th to the 28th of September 2019, researchers published data that night sweats, women who experienced night sweats and vasomotor symptoms, were more vulnerable to cognitive dysfunction as their sleep duration increased and progressed. Now, that's pretty clear if you think about it, the initial response to that is, Hey, man, well, they're not sleeping at night and, of course, they're going to have cognitive dysfunction during the, the day because they're fatigued. I get that. That's right. But it's the study that has been surrounding that that actually links the vasomotor symptom, which leads to the night sweat, to impaired circulation. This is a cardiovascular risk factor, all right? Now, it's not just the estrogen depletion, it's how it works on the brain itself. So let me explain. So one is we have that 2019 uh, publication from NAMS that said, yeah, women who wake up at night, who have a lot of night sweats, they have impaired memory for sure. But it's not because of just sleep quality. That That is one thing. But it's deeper than that. It actually has to do with the altered brain chemistry and the signals of the brain sends that increases the patient's later development, not just of future cognitive dysfunction, but of poor cardiovascular health. Now for this info, we can look at another 2019 study published out of the journal Menopause. And this study was the SWAN study, SWAN. This followed over 3000 women. It was a national multisite study that took a look at women longitudinally starting at midlife and looked at their health uh, years down the road. Now this started back in 1996, all right? Well, what they found was in women who had more frequent hot flashes, right? There's again, there's a vasomotor symptom as an outward signal of what's going on internally. They found that women with more hot flashes had double the risk of heart attack, strokes, and heart failure later in life. So they concluded that. Look, the hot flashes are one thing. They're bothersome. And yes, they begin in the brain, but it's, it's what is happening beyond that. It is the, the programming, the estrogen depletion somehow programs the brain for altered cardiovascular health and for altered cerebral circulation and function. Y'all getting this? So it's not the hormone therapy. It's why they chose hormone therapy to begin with, which was likely the hot flashes and listen to the Piece de resistance. All right, here's the the biggest piece of all is that we can actually prove that vasomotor symptoms leads to abnormal brain signaling in the white matter. This finding of menopausal hot flash frequency and severity linked to white matter changes called hyperintensities can be tracked back all the way back to 2016 in the journal Menopause. Now, Rebecca Thurston, who also helped with the swan study, uh, is also quoted in this paper and Mackie. Okay, those are the two main leaders uh, who did this, and there's other authors as well. But this study that looked at brain MRIs and women complaining of hot flashes was super, super telling. Okay? So as we get ready to wrap this up, here's what they did. They took women who who had complaints of hot flashes and then actually took a look at, at putting monitors on them to see when they actually could measure a kind of a hot flash flare, all right? So these were biological monitors that uh, could track these kind of like little temperature elevations and vasomotor episodes, okay? Now, although the women self-reported an average of three hot flashes per day, the biological monitors sense an average about eight per day during this study. And again, I'll post this in our reference list. But here's what they found. Results showed that when women had more hot flashes as detected by the biological monitor when they slept, remember that's that sleep pattern and that dysfunction, that dysregulation likely happens also during sleep, they found more, quote, white matter intensities, end quote, on their brain scan. You're like, well, what the heck is a white matter intensity? That means that there's some kind of small vessel injury affecting the brain matter. Okay, so let me be very clear. First of all, if you are listening to this uh, as a physician, an MP, a resident, nurse, whatever, and you're having vasomotor symptoms, I don't want you to think, uh, holy crap, that's super scary. I um, mean, if I'm having hot flashes at night, uh, what does my brain look like? Because again, this is helpful. This is, this is something that we, we're learning, but it does not mean, be very clear, that anybody who has this is absolutely doomed to dementia. So that's the good news, okay? But this is a, a significant finding that proves that vasomotor symptoms is not the problem. That's just the outward symptom. What's going on really are changes at the at the cardiovascular uh, and cerebral uh, vascular uh, level, right? These are true vascular changes that affect brain tissue. So the, that study was published, again, in menopause. The title was Menopausal Hot Flashes and White Matter Hyperintensities. And this is something to be aware of. This is why if you have severe hot flashes, talk to your physician. Uh, talk to him about brain health. The question is what to do with that. Well, that's, it's currently an investigation right now is how can we intervene with this? But it all goes back to, of course, keeping your mind active, uh, 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 You know, active reading, active problem solving. All that definitely helps to build neuronal connections And of course, there's a whole genetics component behind it as well. But I will be very clear, for anybody listening with hot flashes, this does not mean that you are doomed to this. But the take home message back to the original BMJ study is that it's likely not the hormone therapy, it's the original hot flashes themselves and what's causing that behind that the scene is the changes in in vascular in, in perfusion to the brain, all right? So menopausal hot flashes are linked to white matter hyperintensities that are directly proportional to the intensity and frequency of the hot flash. So now that we're at the end podcast family, that is the elephant in the room. All right. Remember, we said we're going to explain what's the elephant in the room here with this BMJ study. And it's this. It's that it's the hot flash themselves. The most likely reason why women took hormone therapy was the hot flash relief. And so it's not the medication. That's just the bandage. That's, that's just the, the treatment, but it's the overall condition that's likely uh, at fault here. As a final quote, podcast family, I want to read you from an editorial from BMJ in response to this new uh, nested case control study, because this editorial really sums it up very nicely. Quote, Previous observational studies have reported conflicting findings on the risks and benefits of hormone therapy with respect to cognitive function and dementia. Although Pod Hardy and colleagues' study was done carefully using national registries, the observed associations could be artifactual and should not be used to infer a causal relationship between hormone therapy and dementia risks. These findings cannot inform shared decision-making about use of hormone therapy for menopausal symptoms. Randomized clinical trials provide the strongest evidence of the effect of hormone therapy on dementia. Furthermore, brain imaging biomarkers might help to identify the effects of hormone treatment on dementia pathophysiology at an earlier stage, making assessment of the influence of dementia risk in trials of recently postmenopausal women feasible." All right, podcast family, we have summarized a new BMJ publication from June the 28th, 2023 on hormone therapy and dementia. This is all part of informed decision making. So what do I tell patients? I still tell them exactly what NAM says. Start it early and for the shortest amount possible. And don't start it on women over the age of 65 because that's just whack. By the way, no editorial statement ever said that. That's my interpretation of the data kind of unprofessional to put whack into print but it is what it is all right podcast family as always we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls